next week, look at some practical ways of actually applying these two core values in our lives. So the first one today has to do with our continual dependence on Scripture. Our continual dependence on Scripture. And when I say that, I'm guessing that right away, what's going to come to mind for most of you is 2 Timothy chapter 3. So since that's in your minds anyway, we might as well go there. We'll read 2 Timothy 3, and then we'll go some other places, which I think are just as significant. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we always talk about how Paul here is writing to a young man who's in ministry and wants him to be thoroughly equipped and those kind of things. And I think all of that's true. But, of course, this applies so much. I mean, it applies to all of us, not, certainly not just to a young man who's trying to make, make his way in ministry or something as a servant in the church. And so it says in verse 14 in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it could be that we should just move on to the second core value that we're going to look at today, which is growing in our personal relationships with God. Because this passage makes it very clear that there is something about Scripture, the holy writings, as we might call them, which are oriented toward helping us grow and be more what God wants us to be. But at least in the moment here, as we look at just take this passage in terms of its reference to Scripture itself... There's clearly an admonition to Timothy that he needs to be well-versed in Scripture, grounded in Scripture, focusing on Scripture, that there's something about the Scriptures which are going to be helpful for his ministry. And indeed, that's the case. And of course, it's this kind of passage that really speaks to those who are younger in the faith, not that the older ones don't need to hear it. But if you're someone who's younger in the faith and you're thinking to yourself, how is it that I can be the kind of Christian that God wants me to be? I'm not sure that there's any better place for you to be than in the Bible. Focused on the things that scripture says that will, in fact, draw out of you the kind of faith and growth that Jesus wants us to possess. Now, it's interesting because Timothy becomes this man of God. Timothy is someone that Paul considers a protege. Timothy is carrying on with Paul's own work. And Paul's very serious about having Timothy model himself after uh, Timothy, or having Timothy model himself after Paul. So whatever Paul is doing, I think, is the kind of thing that Timothy should be doing as well. And where Paul sees Timothy in ministry trying to carry out the things that he is, he wants Timothy to do the kind of things he's done. Well, what has Paul done? Who is Paul? What do we know about this guy? What's that? He is a tent maker, that's for sure. What else is he, though? Like, I agree that the, the whole notion of him being a tent maker is important. But for the moment, 
Where is Paul in terms of his religious life and his status? What are the kind of things on which he focuses? He's a missionary. What was he prior to this? What's that? He was a Pharisee. Very well versed in the scriptures. Knew them backwards and forwards. You could say that his whole life is in one sense devoted to knowing and carrying out the law. So it's not surprising that Paul would tell Timothy to do just these kind of things still in the Christian faith. Now, I don't think that Paul wants Timothy in any way to be a legalistic devotee the way the Pharisees were. But nonetheless, the kind of devotion to Scripture that was Paul's as a Pharisee, he certainly wants to see Timothy carrying on with that as well. And he talks about the, the value of just that kind of commitment to Scripture. And so when we say that we value a continual dependence on Scripture, I don't think that that's much different than what Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and following are all about in terms of devoting ourselves to the Christian Scriptures for sure, both New Testament and Old. Okay, so that's all said. Let's, uh, let's kind of put that one to rest. It's a fantastic passage. We could tear it apart and do a whole lot more with it this morning. Um, but I want to move on and, and not focus so much there because there's some other things I want to get to that I think are also really important. I want you to turn to Psalm 119. And it's a long chapter. We're going to look specifically at verse 33 and following. But there is a, a call from Paul to Timothy to commit himself to Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's no doubt about that. And in one sense, you can kind of carry out that command. You know, devote yourselves, yourself to Scripture. Um, you know, be focused on all these things that are valuable there. And that's, that's very, very good. We need to do that. But I want to make sure that Scripture study for us is something that doesn't just impact the mind in terms of allowing us to teach and rebuke and be trained in righteousness. I want us also to recognize that there's something that happens between a person and God when Scripture is experienced. And so this passage, I think, speaks to, in many ways, all those elements, teaching as well. We'll see that. But it's, it's the experience of God that one has through Scripture on which I really want us to focus here for a moment. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. And when he says to the end, it's not just a matter of obedience. He's not just saying, teach me your decrees so that I can obey you. Those words, to the end, make a special kind of point. What does that do to the passage to say, to the end? What's that? It's finished, okay, yeah, in one sense it's finished, sure. But what is the attitude, what's the mindset that goes along with, to the end? It is a major commitment. What was that, Ron? Faith and endurance. Sure. A, a lifelong kind of pattern of living something out before God. It's like uh, just yesterday I did a wedding. Uh, it was just in my office. It was a couple that Robin knows from work. 
and they've been together eight years. They've got a couple of kids, and they've made the decision that they wanted to get married, which I think is a good one. <laughs> and so they need someone to marry them. And so they talk to her, and you know, you know, do you think your husband would be willing to to perform our ceremony? And I actually know their. There, the, it was two kids of a mother that Robin works with. And so I know the mother actually a little bit. And so I did their wedding. But I told them, I said, you know what? I said, before I do your wedding, there's one thing you need to understand. And that is that when I do a wedding, whether it's yours or anybody else's, and I don't know anything about your own commitment to God or Christianity or anything, but I want you to understand that you didn't come to a JP. You didn't come to the captain of a ship. You came to a Christian minister. And so when, when I'm talking here in your wedding ceremony, I'm going to talk about God. Because God is the one who created marriage. And I'm going to say, in the middle of your wedding ceremony, when we do the vows, I'm going to say something like, until death and death only shall part us. And I said, I want you to understand that that needs to be part of our time together. That when we're sharing together these vows during your coming together as a married couple, I want it to be for life. And I want us to say that right in the ceremony that this is for life. And the reason why is because it says something about what we're doing here. It it casts its own wonderful kind of presence over the whole wedding ceremony for people to say, until death only shall part us. Our intention is to do this forever. And so when... The writer says that until the very end. It, it does something. It, it casts a certain character on the kind of commitment toward Scripture and God's Word that he wants us to have. There's an influence there by that very notion of to the end. Michael? Sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is exactly the point that I want to make there. Thank you. Um, the whole notion that this is enveloping us, enveloping our lives. It's going to characterize our lives. There's an identity about us that comes from this kind of to-the-end devotion to God and his word. Well, we read on, verse 34. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Again, is there obedience? Absolutely. But right there as part of that notion is this notion of, of getting wrapped up with God's word in our, in our lives, in our hearts, in our being, so that there's something interior happening within me when I'm devoted to Scripture. We, we're talking about a continual dependence on Scripture. But what does that mean? It, it doesn't mean that I just have a quantity of time. It means I have a quality of life, a quality of heart, so that my, my whole self is, is wrapped up in what God is saying um, as we devote ourselves to Scripture. Verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands for there, what's it say? I delight. It brings me joy. This is not burdensome. This is not me just carrying out some responsibility. God told me I need to be reading scripture. Paul said I need to make sure that I focus on scripture and so I will. 
Instead, there's this element of, um, of emotion, of being wrapped up in the moment, of experiencing something wonderful with God when we are focused on Him and on His Word. Turn my heart toward your statutes. And in some sense, I suppose, that can include the notion of mind. But it's really to the self that we want the statutes to be meaningful. And not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And so there's a whole refocusing of life that takes place for the person who decides to make these things, God's words, central to them rather than all the things of this world. And you know as well as I do, when it comes to talking about both the quantity and even the quality of time and directedness of our thoughts, the directions of our hearts, so often it's very easy for us to focus on everything but something like God's word. It's easy for us to find all kinds of time to do lots and lots of things, but not pray. Like we recognize that. And here the writer is specifically saying, don't let yourself be reoriented or focused on those things which are not as meaningful, but instead make sure that this concentration on God's word fills your life and your focus. Something powerful and wonderful is going to come through that if we do. Okay, we could go on. Matthew or uh, Psalm 119 is filled with those kinds of passages. And I encourage you uh, to read Psalm 119 at length uh, when you have an opportunity. Please do so. Uh, you'll find that it's uh, each section takes the, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and goes through and, and begins with that. The first word in each um, section begins with that letter. And then it just goes through and discusses the notion of God's word and, and how it should impact us uh, throughout that whole chapter. It's a great chapter. I exhort you to continue to look at it. Turn now, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. And for those who've been Christians for a long time, you know, if you've heard all these, all the sermons that you've heard over the years, uh, my comments right now are going to be pretty old hat to you. But I thought, I want to go ahead and say these kinds of things this morning, because no doubt there's somebody here who hasn't heard this before, and they need to. So if you've heard this before, fine, but if you haven't, then I think there's something significant that we need to see in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that sentence does at least two things. One, it makes a powerful statement about what comes from the mouth of God with reference to our own lives and the fulfilling that takes place. 
specifically in the context of temptation. So there's a powerful statement there about the role that Scripture can play in our lives as we're devoted to it. But of course also, and I know, again, you've heard this said before, but Jesus himself specifically goes to Scripture when he's going to respond to this temptation. When, when Satan is around him, what does he do? He goes to Scripture in response. And so for those of you who may not have seen this before, just recognize that Jesus is making a claim both about the power of Scripture in his life and also he does use it in his life. And we need to do the same thing. We can read on. Then the devil took him to, a, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written. And now all of a sudden, it's Satan who's going to use something. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Jesus is again answering with scripture. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So three times Jesus is tempted. Three times he answers with the words of scripture. And at the end, what happens? The devil leaves. Satan leaves. He's kind of, he's kind of taken his best shot here. And Jesus, in response to the best shot that Satan has, responds with scripture. Now there's a part of me that thinks this is interesting because Jesus, he wrote this stuff. <laughs> he's quoting himself. Which is interesting. But I think as a human being, Jesus also had devoted himself to learning this. I'm not sure that God granted Jesus, the human being, any special knowledge of Scripture. I suppose it's possible. But I'm going to guess that as a human being, that Jesus had to learn the words of Scripture. When he goes to the temple in Luke chapter 2... I think that's where it is. And he's found there talking to the teachers and they're all amazed at what he understands, what he knows and his answers. I'm sure that some of that is because he's the son of God. But I think some of it also is because this is a person who has devoted himself specifically to understanding better scripture. And I'm going to guess that he quotes it here, not because... He wrote it, <laughs> but more because as a human being, he has learned it and devoted himself to it. And if Jesus is committed to scripture like that, it just makes sense to me that we would spend time being devoted to scripture as well. So our church has made it one of our core values that we want to have a continual dependence on scripture. That means that we want to identify ourselves in this way. That we want to say, this is who we are. We are people who are devoted to scripture in this way. 
And I hope that in your own life, you are. Next week, we'll talk about how we might do that in a practical way. Now I want to go on to the second core value. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. The second core value this morning that we're looking at is growing personal relationships with God. That is something that we value. And we actually value them for everybody. But it's not just the church. It's not just we ourselves who value the idea of all of us having a personal, a growing personal relationship with Christ. Clearly, the early church saw the same and Paul himself so much desired for people to grow in him. I've told this story before, but when I was um, when I was 15 years old, after I had come to Christ, because I, you know, I didn't know. I'd never read the Bible before. I didn't really know anything about Jesus and didn't understand a lot of things. And it was all absolutely new to me. So I was reading through the Bible, you know, kind of for the first time. I read through the Gospels. And I remember I got to the Gospel of John and I read through it after having read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I was just blown away by the Gospel of John. And I I went to the preacher and I said, oh, I said, I've been reading the Bible. And I read Matthew and I read Mark and I read Luke. And then I read John. So it was amazing. I was just telling him how wonderful that was. So it was, it was typical for me to kind of go to the preacher and, and do that with him. But I remember the day when I was at my house. It was after school one day, I'm, and I was there at the house by myself, and I was just reading the Bible, and I read Ephesians chapter 4. And I immediately went down to the church building, and I went to the preacher in his office, and I walked in and I said, we need to read Ephesians 4. And I was kind of treating him like, you haven't read this before, I'm sure. You know, we, we need to read this together. And so I said, we need to read Ephesians chapter 4. This is incredible stuff. And here's what it says in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love and each part does its work. Um, my second, well, I really, my first sermon ever was on this passage. And then my second sermon ever was on the unity that comes from this passage. But this was the first passage I ever preached on because I, I came to love it. It just meant so much to me. And I kept envisioning in my mind what it would look like for a whole body of people to be doing this together. Like, just think about a whole group of people who have been prepared as God's people for works of service and the whole body being built up together until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I just kept thinking, wow! Just think what it would mean for all of us together to be growing in Him, moving toward becoming what God wanted us to be to the point where we were all mature in Christ. And that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be mature in him. And he he even tells us what that looks like. 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, there are some people in this room right now that I really respect. Like, there are people here who have been Christians for a long, long time, absolutely devoted to Jesus. I've been around you enough to know that you've grown in him to become so much what God wants you to be. But I don't know any of you who has reached the fullness of Christ. Which tells me that all of us have something to which we continue to aspire. I still want to be like Jesus. And believe me, I'm not there. I fall all the time. All the time I look at my life and I think, oh, I am so far from being what God wants me to be. But Paul's vision for those who are in the church is that we would all together grow as this one body moving toward becoming this. And I have loved that picture of all of us together in this, growing as one. I've loved that picture since I was 15 years old. And I'll tell you what did that for me more than anything else besides passages like this was that I was, when I first became a Christian, I was part of a wonderful youth group. Robin was in the youth group as well. And we had this chance, all of us together, to on a regular basis, quite maturely, speak about our faith together in Jesus. You know, we're 15, 16, 17 years old, and we were constantly talking about what the Bible said and about how we needed to grow in Him. We were serving in significant ways. I've, I've told you before about how when I was 16, I was a bus captain. We had a bus ministry back in those days. I spent every Saturday when I was 16 years old going out and knocking on doors trying to get kids to come and ride the bus the next day to church. Well, why did we do all that stuff together? Because God wanted us to grow together in him as a body, becoming more and more what Jesus wants us to be. And he tells us the results of just this kind of thing. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wouldn't it be beautiful if... Whenever anybody talked about our church or knew somebody from our church, had some kind of experience with us, that their reaction was, man, does that group of people ever love others? Like the love of Jesus is just in them, flowing out everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if we just continued to grow like that, more and more like Jesus, together? As a body, becoming more and more of what he wants us to be in that way. It's just such a beautiful picture to think that we could become that. And I just can't think of what the obstacles would be that would stand in our way of that. Other than maybe some obstacles that we put there ourselves. But God clearly wants something for us whereby we would become all of that in him. And it's a beautiful picture. Now, that's all kind of corporate. I know individual, dependent on individual growth for sure. But at the same time, it's all very corporate as we 
as a body become all of that? I want to show you something else that talks about uh, our growth together. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. And by the way, let me just stop here for a second and just ask. This vision of the church growing together like that, to be this body that God wants us to be. Tell me what that feels like. Because I think some of you, like me, have the privilege of feeling that way. Like, I've, I have felt that way since I became a Christian. That I was always around people who were sharing with me that same goal. And I have grown with them even as they've grown with me. What does that feel like? Or if some of you had that kind of experience where you could say, yeah, I've had that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Anybody? It's safe. Yeah. What's that? Harmony. Absolutely. Yeah. Sense of unity and, and oneness in that safety of knowing that we're all kind of there together. You know, we come from such different places today. Literally. Geographically, racially, gender-wise, age-wise, socio-economic-wise. You know, we come from all kinds of different places. And yet, this is a vision for us all to come together in Him, growing to become what He wants us to be. This wonderful sense of the body of Christ just growing and growing and growing and growing and growing until we become this beautiful picture in the Lord that He wants us to be. I think it takes all of us. This passage specifically talks in Ephesians 4 about each part doing its work, each ligament, like like all of us add to this picture. But when that is the case, this thriving, growing body is just so beautiful. I think when I was 15, because of my family life, I wanted so badly to be part of something like that. And I'm so grateful that the church provided it. Yes, June. glad to hear you say that like that's such a blessing to think that that might be the case it, and, and then if that's the case just imagine if that can just continue if we just continue to grow as, as a body of people serving God together what a glorious thing that is in him for sure thank you Okay, Second Peter chapter 1. Just in case, you, if, in case you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. 
You know, Kelly, you don't know my life, all the things I face. I just don't know. Like, I'm so busy. Uh, I got so many horrible things that have happened to me, etc. So many things that might prevent this from happening, this kind of growth. Verse 3, his divine power has given everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Wow. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So he says he has given us all of this. that We can continue to grow and become what he wants us to be. Even overcoming evil desires. It sounds like even Jesus paying attention to scripture. For this very reason, make every effort to grow. To add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. And of course, he could go on. He could name 50 other things. He wants us to grow up into all of these things. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his sins. Wow. It just gives us a picture, an idea of what we can actually have happen in our lives. I'm, I'm tempted to say achieve, but it sounds like if we, if I say achieve, it sounds like something I'm doing. When clearly the idea here is that God is the one who wants to add all of these things into our lives and cause us to just keep growing and growing in Him until even He says that a possession of the divine nature can be ours. He wants that for us. And we so often settle for something so less. You know, we spend our lives sometimes focused and shooting for something that is so much less than the vision that God has for us. He wants us to keep growing from here to here. And we just sometimes flounder. Don't make the progress. Don't become what he wants us to be. And all the while, he's got a completely different kind of vision for us. So when I look at these two core values, it sure seems to me like they are in sync. The notion that we can spend that kind of continual dependence on Scripture and that God can use that and work in us to produce tons of fruit. All kinds of good things in our lives that will come from that kind of continual dependence on Scripture leading to the kind of growth that God wants for us to see in our lives. And I I get excited about the fact that someone like me, not much potential, not too bright, not too holy, that God can take someone like me And allow me to go from 15 years old and kind of a dunce. And can actually use me in the kingdom in some small ways. And we just need to have, I think, an open heart, open spirit, 
It allows us to be open then to God's word and his spirit working in us and helping us to grow. We tend to settle for less. But God has great vision for what he wants us to become. And I hope that you take advantage of that. Next week, we'll talk about ways in which that can happen. Thank you very much.